Hey, it's Josh. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you all know that the Vermont Public Spring Membership Drive has arrived. Donations from folks like you make everything we do here possible. If you want to help support our people-powered journalism, be sure to make a donation in any amount by March 16th by going to bravelittlestate.org donate. And as always, thank you for your support. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't think I know that. Really? How much wood can a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck oh. wood? Oh, <laughs> okay, yeah. Got it. So you know that one, right? Yeah, of course. Can you say it fast? How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Caleb Smith is a dairy farmer and brave little state listener who lives in Danby. We were talking about the word woodchuck, not the furry animals and not the hard cider. We were talking about the stereotypical woodchuck. It's Vermont slang. Not familiar with that term? <laughs> then keep listening. Do you know the next verse? He chuck as much as a woodchuck could chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood. No, I did not know that. <laughs> he chuck as much as he could chuck. Caleb, wood by the way, wood. is a good sport. As much as he could chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood. <laughs> <laughs> From Vermont Public Radio, this is Brave Little State. I'm Angela Evansy. And I'm Nina Keck. And this is a show where we answer questions from you, our listeners. My name is Ryan McLiberty. I'm from Woodstock, Vermont. And my question is, what is the history behind the terms flatlanders and woodchucks? And what do those terms evoke today? Ryan is in graduate school in Rhode Island. He's studying cybersecurity. While he grew up in Vermont, he'd never thought of himself as a woodchuck. I had not even heard the term woodchuck until relatively recently. The word flatlander, however, he'd heard plenty over the years. He was talking about all of this recently with his girlfriend's family. They mentioned a guy they know who moved to Burlington four years ago. And people still call him a flatlander, and he has been really confused because he doesn't know what he has to do in order to get rid of that label or if it will ever go away. Um, the label does not go away. Do flatlanders and woodchucks have a certain look to them? Like, can you see somebody and say, oh, yeah, that's a flatlander or, oh, yeah, that's a woodchuck? Gosh, I mean, it sounds, it sounds awfully judgmental, but I think I can. <laughs> so today, an episode about blatant stereotypes and the Green Mountain lingo we use for them. We have support from VPR's sustaining members. Welcome. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. All right, so Nina, let's start with you. Are you a flatlander or a woodchuck? I am from Wisconsin originally, so I'm probably actually a cheesehead at heart. But yeah, I'm a flatlander. And after doing research on this episode, 
it's become abundantly clear that I will always be a flatlander. How about you, Angela? Well, without getting too much into the definitions of the words, you know, I, I was born here in Vermont, um, but I can't say that I lay claim to either label. Like, I don't consider myself to be a woodchuck or a flatlander. So I think we all have like our own relationships or not with these words. Well, and, and it's kind of interesting. They're kind of playful. They're kind of not. It's it's very much an eye of the beholder kind of thing, how these words get tossed around. But, you know, we should be clear that they're really blatant stereotypes. I mean, this is this is what this whole episode is about. Right. So I, I, I want to get that up, up at the top. Disclaimer. <laughs> and I guess for me, you know, I'd like a, a term that falls somewhere between woodchuck and flatlander. So maybe, I don't know, a flatchuck or... A woodlander, maybe? <laughs> woodlander. I like that. I do, too. It feels like it fits more. It's like, what if someone's from Colorado? Like, would you still call them a flatlander? And I th- I feel like if you asked a Vermonter, they'd probably say, yes, you're still a flatlander, which is funny. Our question asker, Ryan, wondered about another aspect of that term. It seemed like recently there was... Something in the way people were saying it um, during the COVID outbreak that was a little more real. It was a little bit more ill-tempered. The origins of the nicknames Flatlander and Woodchuck appear to be intertwined. But Woodchuck came first, so we'll start there. In terms of etymology, Sayuridae. Sayuridae or Sayuridae. Sayuridae or Sayuridae. Sayuridae or Sayuridae is the word scientists use for the family of small and medium-sized rodents that include squirrels, chipmunks, marmots, and... Woodchucks, which is what people in the Northeast call groundhogs. But to clarify, woodchucks are not the same as gophers. Some people call woodchucks land beavers and whistle pigs. But I, I will be honest, I have never in my life heard anyone say, hey, look at that whistle pig, or isn't that a cute land beaver digging up that hillside? So to find out about the stereotypical woodchuck that Ryan was curious about, I made some calls. In Vermont, the term woodchuck means someone who was born here. Second or third generation Vermonters. Basically redneck or hillbilly. A country person who literally chucked wood. I mean, they, they, they heated with wood. Woodchuck is somebody that is very comfortable with machinery and guns and, and trucks. Someone who either real or perceived has some sort of a relationship with the land. Uh, grow their own food if they can. Take care of their, do their own plumbing, do their own wiring, do their own heating. In part because, well, when I first moved here, there wasn't anybody else to do it. That last voice belongs to Jeff Danziger. He draws woodchucks and flatlanders in a cartoon series, The Teeds. We also heard the voices of Caleb Smith, the Danby farmer we met earlier, and Liz and Tom Slayton. Now, besides lifestyle, woodchucks, if we're going to generalize some more, also have a look. (laughs) Uh, well, I guess there would be a uh, chainsaw in your hands and a uh, flannel jacket, blue jeans, and work boots. This is Vermont history professor Paul Searles. We'll hear more from him later. By the way, underneath all those practical clothes, woodchucks also seem to be mostly white and older. I did a story once uh, trying to figure out the origins of the word woodchuck. And, um, Wow. Uh, I never came to a conclusive answer. 
Tom Slayton was the longtime editor of the now-defunct Vermont Life magazine. But as I was researching the story, I happened to see my sister and her boyfriend throwing firewood into a truck. And I said, look at them chucking that wood. Wait a minute. In my own research, I learned the term woodchuck is not exclusive to Vermont. Some people in rural upstate New York also use the word to identify themselves. But as far as Green Mountain woodchucks go? I, you know, I could think of it as a badge of Vermontness, I guess. But it's okay not to have it. But I think it's something to be cherished. This is Al Bowright. He was born in Barrie, and his family ties in Vermont go way back. He's retired now and lives in Middlesex. But for more than 30 years, he provided legal counsel to the state legislature, and he went to Harvard. Because of that, he admits he's probably only a partial woodchuck. Yeah, I've been polluted from my pure woodchuckness. (laughs) But Al told me he can still access his inner woodchuck. He's done it on stage for years in musical parodies, like this classic number from Woody and the Woodchuck, a show he performed with George Woodard. I've been in shows that have been named, three shows that have been named for woodchucks, and probably 15 that have the word groundhog in them. Al told me that one of the things he loves most about the woodchuck caricature is the traditional Vermont accent, the same one his dad, his uncle, and many of his cousins had. Uh, There's a wide range of woodchuck accents, yeah. Can you do them? Can I do some? By Jesus, I guess I could a little bit. It's hard to do it. Uh, It's hard to do it on demand and to do a really good one, but I don't know, something comes out, and I guess it must be from my background somewhere. Since I had Al in character, I asked him to tell me what else came to mind when he thought about being a woodchuck. Well, there's a big Vermont connection that goes back multiple generations in most cases. Uh, There's a clothing aspect to it. It can't be too snappy looking. It can't be nothing that's bought too recently. There's a general attitude towards life about uh, you want a lot of it, but you don't need a lot of stuff to get through it. Uh, There's sort of a a lack of BS and a lack of sort of false uh, friendliness, that kind of thing. And they're good to their neighbors. How's that for start? (laughs) Al Borright says he'd be pleased to be called a woodchuck, even honored. But the word can just as easily be a diss. Rural Vermonters, in some cases, can refer to each other as woodchucks. But if someone from outside their community or who looks different from them calls them a woodchuck, they'll feel resentful. Again, Paul Searles. He's a history professor at Northern Vermont University. He says the term's meaning can also depend on where you live. People in Burlington think that everyone outside of Chittenden County is a woodchuck, and that people in Montpelier and Barrie think that people in Plainfield are woodchucks, and people in Plainfield think that people in Groton are woodchucks, and people in Groton Village think that people in rural Groton are woodchucks. I mean, it does. It, it's a really very old term. Which gets at Ryan McCliverty's question about where the term woodchuck originated something Paul Searle says he's tried to figure out. Here's one story. I know this, that um, Senator George Aiken, uh, who was a longtime important political figure in the state, uh, once told a story that Calvin Coolidge 
when he was governor of Massachusetts, used to drive up from Northampton to um, Plymouth, his, ha- his house in Plymouth. And he was very taciturn. He would never say anything. But in all those trips, one time he all of a sudden was startled in the back seat. And when they got to his house in Plymouth, he said one word, which was woodchuck. He apparently had seen an animal. And that was the only one word he ever said in those trips. And uh, George Aiken speculated that maybe that was where the term woodchuck came from. But we can't be sure. So how did the terms woodchuck and flatlander get popularized? Paul Searle says it helps to understand a pivotal time in Vermont's history, the 1960s and 70s. The old economy was in rapid decline. Uh, The number of dairy farms was plummeting. Traditional industries like lumber, quarrying, and a lot of manufacturing were going out of business. At the same time, the the back-to-the-land movement was taking off, and Vermont became a haven for hippies and communal living. Paul Searle says Vermont was also aggressively marketing itself. They launched a program, for instance, in the 1960s called Beckoning Country. Vermont was the beckoning country, and it was so successful, it brought so many people up, they had to cancel it. The interstate highways were being built at this time as well, so it was easier for people to get to Vermont. And so all those things collided by 1970 to um, make it a case where a lot of Vermonters were economically hurting, and also a lot of outsiders had a great deal of interest in moving to Vermont, acquiring Vermont land as second homes, or simply coming up as tourists. Almost in defiance, Paul Searle says this is when you began to see bumper stickers in the state that said, I'm a woodchuck. And it became a term that people began to um, use proudly. He says the state began enacting new environmental and developmental regulations, changes that many longtime Vermonters struggled with. Resentment began to fester. This is Vermont's great paradox, which is, I mean, for a lot of native Vermonters, if Vermont had not taken huge measures in order to regulate development, then a lot of Vermonters would have said, oh, this state's changed too much. It's just like New Jersey. I liked it the way it was. But if you do a whole lot of regulation and planning, then they say, are you telling me what to do with my land? Hence the name calling. The first time I recall being called a flatlander, it was myself and my brother. This is Dahan Mohammed. He was born in Troy, New York, and moved to Grand Isle, Vermont in 1990, when he was 18. Dahan remembers when a group of friends he and his brother were getting to know teased them about being flatlanders and not knowing anything. Dahan said the term didn't really bother him since his mother's family had actually been early settlers in the area and had only recently moved out of state. But the meaning of the word was clear. Well, it's a slight. It's not. Uh, it's not a compliment to you. But, but when it's followed up with with a good belly laugh and stuff, it's hard not to to laugh with them, you know. And, and they kind of laugh with you. But, but I, I just think it's a way of a Vermonter saying that yes, I'm a Vermonter and, and you're not. I mentioned to Dahan what our question asker Ryan McCliverty had wondered about the word flatlander taking on more negative overtones during the pandemic as more second homeowners have moved into the state. Dahan didn't think so. He's been selling real estate in and around North Hero for 20 years. And I do work with a lot of first-time homebuyers and people that are coming from other, other areas to purchase here in Vermont. And I can tell you that word just doesn't come up. Among his clients, he says no one has asked him about it or even mentioned hearing it. If it's still being used in Vermont, Dahan thinks it'd be in more rural parts of the state and by people within an old boys' network. 
As I talked to people for this episode, a number of them mentioned Revolutionary War hero Ethan Allen, a member of one of Vermont's oldest old boy networks. He didn't actually say the word flatlander, but in 1770, he argued in court that, quote, the gods of the valleys are not gods of the hills. 240 years later, Caleb Smith got a taste of that when he moved to Danby and started farming. He had hired a local old-timer to help move his herd. I heard through the grapevine that he was um, he was talking down at the store how I was a flatlander and, and didn't know what I was doing and um, I, I would soon be out of business. And then he was corrected by a friend of mine who's a who's a neighbor who uh who said, Well, no, no, he's not a he's not a flatlander, he's a hillbilly. Caleb was born in South Carolina, but he spent his formative years in the mountains of North Carolina. And and going back to the story, I d I don't know that I necessarily feel like a hillbilly from the holler either. Um in North Carolina there was a similar differentiation and you would talk about people from they're from down east. So in North Carolina, you're from down east. In Wisconsin, where I'm from, we look down at people from Illinois. But the terms we used, I couldn't say on the radio, not even on a podcast. I hear people who live on Martha's Vineyard call non-islanders washashores. So every place seems to have its own put-downs for non-natives. In typical New England fashion, the word flatlander, as far as put-downs go, feels pretty tame. Thanks so much for listening to the show. And thanks to Ryan McLiverty for the great question. And to Jeff Danziger, who drew us a special Woodchuck Flatlander cartoon for this episode. Check it out at our website, bravelittlestate.org. While you're there, you can ask your own question about Vermont, sign up for our newsletter, and vote on the question you want us to tackle next. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at BraveStateVT. This episode was reported by Nina Keck and edited by me. Our digital producer is Elodie Reed, and we have engineering support from Peter Angish. Ty Gibbons composed our theme music, other music by Blue Dot Sessions. A very special thanks to John Dillon and Paul Carnahan. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public Radio. We have support from VPR sustaining members. If you're able to make a gift, you can do that at bravelittlestate.org donate. I'm Angela Evansy. We'll be back soon. Until then, remember, be brave, ask questions. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Line takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Line wherever you get your podcasts.